It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know I'm a country girl from a farming and ranching community in West Texas. So when I met one of today's guests at the farmer's market in Garberville, and he invited me out to learn about dry cannabis farming, I jumped at the opportunity. Dry Farmed Organic Medicinals specializes in dry farmed, full-term, sun-grown cannabis produced on a fully integrated CCOF, California-certified organic farm in the Eel River Valley. Getting there was its own adventure and reward. I ended up in a rural community even more remote than the one I grew up in. I was grateful Claire was with me to apply her hometown Humboldt knowledge to read the locals' shortcut directions from Sean. The locals' only shortcut saves you 45 minutes. You know, turn in between the really big redwoods and follow the sign that says Shively, and then drive along the river, but stay in the tracks and cross at the temporary bridge. You know, that sort of thing. We arrived at the gate and met the guard goats grazing away. And from there began my show-and-tell in dry farming. Our main gardener, Jane, has been farming this land for 20 years and shares the responsibilities with both Sean and Ryan. Together, they sat down to teach me the basics of dry farming, the ins and outs of farm life, and their favorite parts of working with the land. This is a really fun one, I think, so smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. 
So I really appreciated the tour that y'all gave me earlier so that I could get like the full scope of what you do here and what dry farming is all about. It kind of gave me an idea of kind of how we can shape this conversation because I didn't know what dry farming was until like nine months ago in the sense of cannabis. And so when I was introduced to the style of dry farming, I was just like, I need to, I need to show and tell. So I appreciate you guys opening up your farm and welcoming the Casually Baked Tribe. Mm-hmm. So thanks for having us. Thanks for coming. Now, I know it's a little bit unusual because you've just had rain. So like us walking through the fields didn't give us kind of the sense of what it normally is like. But kind of tell, set the scene. What do you need to have to accomplish dry farming? Dry farming is kind of how people started growing food, you know, millennia ago, you know, in a wet space next to a river. And this is one of the finest wet spaces next to a river that you could find. Jane, I want you to tell me, like, what it takes to accomplish this, because it really is. There's some interesting microclimates just in the few spaces that I've you've showed me today. You know, what does it take to really be successful at this? Well, being connected to the hydrological flow of the Eel River watershed, any watershed being connected to the hydrological flow. And then it's all about soil building. Here, we're lucky in Shively. We have amazing soil. You know, we don't need to do anything, which is makes us really lucky. Yeah. So we don't have to build soil here, but it's possible to build the soil and to dry farm any alluvial floodplain, mm-hmm. you know. So the style of, you know, I think you said it's a sandy loam as you walk through. It feels light and airy. Mm-hmm. You know, you there's... Yeah, we try to keep it, like, very aerated so it draws up the water and makes it... Facilitates the roots being easier access and for the water to move up and down easier. So if someone is listening and daddy, I'm talking to you. You know, you live in a space where there is some sort of river or creek or something, and you do have this sandy loam soil. What are those things that you do to assess your land to see if you actually can do this? Well, I mean, you'd want to like dig deep, you know, at least two feet down, mm-hmm. you know, break the hard pan. Uh huh. You got to break the hard pan. And uh-huh. then you, and then you just till it up as much as you so you we want to dig down like two feet and see like okay if we're reaching if i haven't reached moisture after two feet you're like probably not gonna happen i can't hear you it's probably not going well no that's not necessarily true because uh actually ripping it and tilling it will create the moisture enable it to come up like areas uh, where we've planted fig trees and have never tilled around them they barely grow Areas where we planted fig trees and tilled around them year after year after year, they're giant and within five years. So, so. it's almost like letting the soil breathe gives, mm-hmm. it creates these channels to let the water come up. Yeah, kind of like capillary action, yeah. All right, very cool. So how And then it's about timing, so planting at the right time, you know, tapping into that water level when it's high uh-huh. and carrying the roots down with the water table. So here, particularly in Northern California, or is this considered Southern Humboldt? What area of Humboldt we're are right we? About, we're right about Central. Okay. Humboldt. So here in this environment, when or when do you start your planting process? What have you determined is your sweet spot? 
Well, beginning of May, if possible, even last week in April, if possible. Okay. But it's different every year. But by the end of May, you want to be in. Okay. Like that's optimal. Mm -hmm. And so when you were showing me the plants earlier, you had said like, this is the oldest plant and they grow here and then you turn the corner and so things are growing up. So you're, there's a, what you start in May, but there's a constant planting that starts happening after that. Ideally, okay. when we get it all dialed, <laughs> it will all go in, hopefully, as At the soon same as time. it can. Yeah. Got it. I thought maybe yep. you did that because it, like, is less work for you. Har you're, like, constantly harvesting, but it's more work if you do it that way. That's more work. Well, okay. your plants will get less big. Yes. Okay. They're not going to get as big. So yeah. If you can get them all big, then yeah, that's why you want to be able to do it all at the same time. But we were waiting, because we do seed plants, mm -hmm. we were waiting on sexing them. Got it. And so, yeah, y'all do all of your own genetics here on the mm -hmm. farm, right? Yeah. That's yeah. very exciting. And these, you said this is your seed family, if you will? Yep. These are three seed breeding greenhouses. We had them all covered earlier, but now the males are going in. But they each had a different male. And then, yeah. Okay. And so... Maybe we should clarify that we are doing all our own genetics, except for we We're, are collaborating with Happy Dreams Farms yep. Genetics. Happy I, Dreams Genetics. Happy, Happy Dreams, Dreams Farms. Farms is yeah. the very first dry farmed flower that I ever smoked. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. There you go. Yeah, it was well, really good. They do a good job. So what are the benefits, if you do have the opportunity to dry farm, what are the benefits of dry farming over traditional cannabis farming? Well, you don't have to water. Yeah. <laughs> that's a huge... Uh, that is a that's huge... That's a huge benefit. What else? We do a lot of unconventional things. That, you know, we don't use trellis. We don't stake things. You know, we don't fertilize. We don't spray. So... it's. It's also, it's less about what's beneficial to us or immediately to the plant, but more just the entire ecosystem. Like what makes this area healthier and better, more eco-friendly. And dry farming is definitely the way to do it as opposed to like irrigating, pulling water from somewhere, diverting water, or using electricity to then pump that water. It's like... When you those don't are, have to. Yeah. yeah, when you don't have to. Those are things we definitely don't want to do. So it's like... I personally believe that it makes the plants stronger, and I I like the idea that the plants are, like, drawing up their own water. They're not being oversaturated. They're not being overwatered. You know, um, some people use the uh, example of, like, the big blown-up strawberries that you can see at a supermarket. And, it, like, yeah, sure, they're huge, but they're watery and tasteless, whereas you can find these, like, little tiny organic strawberries, and sure, they might be, like, smaller, but the, the flavor's it's dense. It's a flavor explosion. That, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Uh -huh. And uh, so that's kind of how I think of the cannabis, too. But I think, ultimately, it's the low impact on the environment that's, like, really the reason why we do it. And the fact that, like, yeah, we also don't have to irrigate. It takes that load off. That's cool, too. We still are constantly wrestling with weeds. I mean, the, the work is never done, but... Certainly. Yeah, the, the environmental implications for dry farming are or where it's at. Everything that's out there in the field is getting exactly the amount of water that it needs. Yeah. Okay. Because it's you regulating know, because its own it's water taking, intake. It's tapped in and it's taking what it needs and you're not overspilling and, you know, running into the river. And it's not taking, you know, from the river. It's just like Yeah, there's this symbiotic through. relationship yep. with everything here. 
Yeah. Okay. That's fun. What about with y'all? Is there a bunch? Is this all symbiotic with? You? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, this is a well-honed crew. We're a I believe operation. it. I believe it. Even just watching y'all work in the kitchen together, uh, and you make mean cappuccinos too. Coffee Thanks. runs this spot. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Kinetic coffee. Thank you, Thank you, Kinetic. Thank you, Kinetic. Shout out to local coffee. Local so yeah, right. So tell me what all is grown here. Hold on. Wow. Yeah, I know. I saw a lot of things, but I would love to like hear you run through it. All right. Start we have, well, we do runner cannellini, Italian butter beans, dry and fresh, heirloom tomatoes, Abe Lincoln, Cherokee, purple. There's a wonderful open pollinated early girl variety type that we do. A lot of the stuff that we grow comes from wonderful seed developer Bill Reynolds, who lives here in Shively and uh, gave us a bunch of really wonderfully acclimated seeds that have been grown here for quite a while. And so we've been keeping those going and we keep our own seeds and save each year. And I saw a few varieties of apples. Lemon cucumbers, we can get into the fruit in a second Mm -hmm. here, the vegetables. Uh, we got corn, beets, lemon cucumbers, eel river melon, which is a local, it's a cantaloupe crossed with a Japanese melon that was developed here in the valley. Uh, ice cream watermelon, which is a... What? It's Yeah, that's that watermelon that was out there. That's called the ice cream watermelon. It's from like the 1880s. There's a seed catalog from 1888 that has the black seed ice cream watermelon in it and it's an old storage melon they used to pack them in sand and eat them at christmas and new year's eve that was how you stored an ice cream watermelon right on a bunch of sweet corn we have some dent corns and popcorns that were out there that are not really that's just kind of for us the sunflowers that you saw are all our, that's our windbreak, kind of a nice shade protector and a place for to go hang out. And the kid likes to tear through it and <laughs> knock them down. And, um, and we got the winter squash, the delicata, winter, yes. and the blue hokkaido, which was those. developed here in Shively, too. We're thinking uh, about this season. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that field before. When we were out in the field, you asked about the plant that's on the ground everywhere, and that's mm-hmm. bindweed, which is a style of morning glory and the bane of any farmer, pretty much. Um, we were reading up about how to get rid of bindweed, and there's a 1911 thing from the Department of Agriculture about getting rid of bindweed and one of it was to spray it with poison and set it on fire yeah, of till course, it forever. Of course. Right. Or you could put pigs on it for two years and we have American guinea hogs that are part of our operation out here. I need to get a closer look at those little piglets. We'll definitely go out They were so cute from um, a distance. But anyways, so there's two fields that we have been pretty much running the pigs for sure on uh yeah for three years right yeah for three years and we didn't plan anything on either one of those fields these two are (laughs) hula hoeing monsters they've (laughs) 
are out every day. I'm I'm a lightweight. Uh, <laughs> I come out there and help and encourage them and roll spliffs and make coffees and help as much as I can. Uh, they are incredible. Well, tell me, like, yeah, Jane, tell me what, who, Anyway, uh, this is the end Anyways, of the story. I, I, the story <laughs> they is, They annihilated that, that the whole... pig weed out there completely. Yeah. There's no weeds. This is the biggest squash field we've ever seen. Like, the most so the, giant so it squash field. It, okay. it was That's great. That's the long story Get short. Get rid we of your pine weed. I don't know if that was a short there. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. Well, she just shortened it by a lot. Well, by that's going what there. women are for. Back. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Back yes. So, and so the the way you know we we were talking about the tools of the trade, how mm-hmm. that you do this. I mean, we didn't even get through remotely close to the amount of fruits and vegetables I saw. Oh, right. But yeah, it, yes. was, it was it was going to take seventy four yes. trees, pomegranates, walnuts. Yeah, we'll do a video yeah. montage yeah, yeah. to get yeah. through Peaches, all that. Plums of different varieties. (laughs) Anyway. We grow a lot of stuff. Yes. So what are the tools of the dry farming trade? What do you need to Well, we like to use the ripper. Three foot tine. It's pretty big. About two and a half, three foot tined instrument. Yeah, and we just go. And you need a big tractor to pull it. So none of y'all have a gym membership. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need a gym membership, No. no. This is our gym for sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. So yeah, we disc okay. first. Mm-hmm. First, we mow and let it all the cover crop rot. So this is what. So the pigs have just got your field ready for you. It's ready we to co- go. We have then... a huge cover crop. Like mm-hmm. it's like okay, gigantic. And mm-hmm. the pigs, we move out into the front field, but they barely make they a dent. They can't make a dent. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then we mow that all down and let it rot, and then we come in. Disc, okay. Uh, and, and what does disc it, mean? It's a huge implement with these metal round okay. things that you pull behind the tracker, and it just rips okay, the yes. ground apart. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And then you uh, can roll that and break it up, mm-hmm. which is good unless if if you're not going to come back right away. Oh, they got and it. then come through with your ripper, or people. Some people like to use a plow. Uh huh. Um, and just really. You know, get deep down yeah. there, break the hard pan, mm-hmm. and then. And so you're and doing that. What time? Like, is this happening in soon, February? As or? soon as it dries out enough that you can. Okay, so maybe get that's out probably there like with your yeah. So that may even be March, like March April. or April. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes even May. Okay. So wow, and then yeah. you're really pushed for and then you're time. Pushed. Yeah. So when it hits, Yikes. it hits, and you're yeah, you got to just keep going and try to do as much as you can. Hey, this is reality television, right <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, we've folks. got a, a puppy battle taking place <laughs> off camera. <laughs> I mean, they are cute. Sisters Michi and Buka <laughs> fighting to the death for our love. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! And then so and then you uh so then you rip and then you either can rototill it or disc it again. Basically, break mm-hmm. up the huge chunks and then keep tilling it and tilling it until it becomes a really fine seed bed. Mm-hmm. Now, is it easier to dry farm fruits and vegetables or cannabis? They're all the same. Okay. That's good for people to know. Like, I think cannabis is such an intimidating thing to grow because it's just been so taboo and and people that are actually growing, it's not like they take 
detailed notes, you know, they store all of their secrets and the things that they do. It's all in their head. And, you know, so I think people shy away from trying. But if it's just as easy, then why wouldn't you? One of the hardest things that I've noticed with people dry farming cannabis, they just they want to do too much to the plant. They want to work the plant too much. There's like a million little things they want to do to it when it's more about working the land around the plant, you know, like making sure like the weeds are cleared away or it's got like a healthy spot to grow or, you know, it's, yeah, it's breaking like through any, that hard just pen. Farming, like it's, farming anything. It's less about hosing it down with something or finding the beneficials or, you know, using... Unless you need them. Unless yeah. you need them, but... <laughs> we do use beneficials yeah. if we need them, though. But yeah, sure, the but we have, we, we have a lot of... We talked about before, like some people have cannabis plants mauled by aphids or something. They're like, oh man, these aphids are tearing it up. But we've got kale planted and the aphids like the kale more than the cannabis. So like our kale's rotten with aphids, but the cannabis, not so much. So So, having a a diverse farm like that really helps out. I would say probably one of the hardest things about dry farming (laughs) cannabis is the first week uh, after you put it in the ground. Is because you're gonna look at it, it's gonna look sad. And you, you're going to want a helicopter wants to parent water, Everybody wants yeah. to water it. And they're going to be like, it looks like it's dying. It's going to die. I'm going to water it. And we're like, no, just wait it out. Just sit back, walk yeah. away. Yeah, that's solid you advice. You walk out that morning and you see the leaves have just gone. And they're, you know, reaching for the sky and they've hit that water and you never look back. Interesting. So, so but, and what, when is that time whenever you kind of see that it's finally hit the water and it starts having that first major growth spurt? Maybe about five days to a, it depends a on week the and a half. It depends okay. on when you plant it, right? Yeah, man, that's just the life of a farmer. It all just depends, <laughs> right? On the weather, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a gamble. It For is. Sure. Well, what's your favorite part about living out here and dry farming? Because you've been doing this. How long have you been doing this? Well, I've been 25 years in Chively. So, yeah, yeah. a long time. But uh, I really love the fruit trees here in Chively so much. And the redwoods and the water yeah. and, it, and the air. It's such a beautiful place. And the soil is just oh, so rich. So great. I'm pretty sure like every phase of the season when it's like fruit trees or the tomatoes are coming in or we're putting the cannabis plants in, we'll always look to each other and we're like, oh my God, it's this part. It's this part that we're doing. We're so happy. Yeah. And uh, it's so it's hard to say like what the favorite part is. It it's, is. It's all. Yeah. Being a part of it is incredible. It's an incredible time and it's it's always exciting every phase of the season as it comes about. Even hula hoeing for endless hours has its place. So, yeah. I bet, yeah, I, th- I feel like a lot of that stuff becomes very meditative. It's almost like finding that rhythm when you're breathing or whatever, and you just kind of, I don't know, it's like having a therapy session in your head, plus you're working out, plus you're like <laughs> working. I mean, you're like multitasking your uh-huh. ass off out there. Right. Yeah, we're clear. And we're going to listen awesome. to uh, <laughs> music and podcasts. And, I mean, <laughs> and having snacks. I mean, I, I, I the food raw is corn incredible. for the first the time. Yeah. I think yeah, I heard uh, someone say, like, working on farms is where people live like peasants but eat like kings. And that's, you might have said that. It's, it's incredibly true. It's the absolute best food fresh and knowing that it's coming from like an organic clean farm like this one just 
feels all the better. Yeah. Being part of growing it is, you know, I think that makes it taste better too. I know. And I think it's probably good for your hair and like, <laughs> nails. Yeah. You, you got a lot of good stuff going on here. I, I think I'm going to think it's all about the farm. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> we were walking together and I was like, you've got great hair. He was like, I was going to say the same thing to you. Stereo, <laughs> <laughs> you know, great hair. Right, yeah, we're always uh, yeah, we've talking got... about how beautiful Ryan's hair is. I know. He's <laughs> oh, yeah. got good mermaid hair. Oh, man. Merman yeah. hair, I'm sorry. I mean, it's the 21st century, gender fluid. I'll be a mermaid, I don't mind. That's fine. So let's talk about the gear that you're wearing. Oh, right, because, the uniform. Yeah, because I'm telling you, like, first of all, this is amazing. I mean, is this Carhartt? Who made this? This is an antique. This is like a. I want one old, of these. Uh, factory women's factory worker like that with the tights is amazing. Right. On. The built-in knee pads because you're up oh, and yeah. down all the time. Uh-huh. That Those is are solid. Great. The, built-in, the knee built-in knee pads on the Carhartt pants. It's like an extra ten dollars to get them. They're made out of foam, but they'll they'll save you years for sure. Right. What's going on with your boots? Those are. Um, I I lucked out with these boots. I've got a friend who works at a place, and I'll keep both of them. Nameless, but uh, why are you afraid they'll sell too many well, boots? Like, <laughs> what happened was like the, these boots were made for a company and they were supposed to have like the company logo on them, but oh, a whole box came out with no company logo, and so they were like, All right, we can't use these. And maybe a box fell off the truck, and I got a pair of boots. Out oh, of the got deal, it, so, yeah, you know. That's how I got these ones, hey, but they're, they're very similar. you sell your cannabis on the legal market. But yeah, you buy right, but I get my boots on the black market, for sure. <laughs> um, it's, it's been like piecing together uh, the outfit, though. I mean, this is my sixth season here on the farm now, and I feel like every year I'm like, I learn how important having wool socks is. I learn how important having knee pads are. I learn how important having waterproof boots are, and... Uh, yeah, it's you learn, you adapt, you build some armor to protect yourself in the season. But function over fashion is is the way we head. Absolutely. Long sleeves and a hat. <laughs> if you want to go for the long haul, wear long sleeves and a hat. That's smart. And drink a lot of water all the time. Every time you think you shouldn't drink water, drink some water. All right, those are hot tips. Now... One thing that I loved hearing is that most of the beans or like all of the beans that you grow here go to Chapinee. Is that right? Well, not a all lot. The beans. A lot. A lot of the. If that restaurant in Berkeley can vouch for your produce, like it is like eating like kings. <laughs> you know wow. what I mean? Like that's very impressive to me. So where They're connoisseurs? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so tell me where all where does all your produce go around California? Well, we do the Arcata Market, the Garberville Market sometimes, Eureka Natural Foods up in Eureka, we sell to some local restaurants, 511, Chaffee's. Oh, in the Bay Area, we do wholesale distribution companies, uh, Greenleaf, Good Eggs. and uh, Good Eggs is a delivery delivery service. service. Mm -hmm. Uh, Veritable Vegetable. And then the big... Uh, like Berkeley Bowl and Monterey Market over in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. All the buy rights and SF. Yeah. Uh, I love that. That makes me really happy what you're doing here because this is a really isolated spot. I mean, 
driving here was absolutely beautiful, but um, an extremely unconventional drive. (laughs) And I seriously, I'm looking at Claire and I'm like, we look like we're trespassing. (laughs) Yeah, like we're just driving along the side of the river and it's like going to this little community of Shively. And so I just like, you get here and it's absolutely magical. And to know that y'all are sharing this and it really truly is going all over California. I love it. Yeah. Could I we take maybe a second here to go into the history of Shively for a sec? Certainly. Cool. So originally it was some of the tallest trees I've heard in Humboldt. Uh, it was big air quotes discovered by uh, William Shively when uh, some of his native guides brought him over on a hunting trip and he decided it was paradise and they clear cut the valley and sent the lumber down to Scotia to build the first lumber mill in Scotia and most of the trestle work for the railroad. The lumber mill burned down in 1911, I believe. But then once they had clear-cut the valley, it became clear that the soil was some of the best soil in the world, and they started growing food here almost immediately. And then when the railroad was here... This was a giant agricultural town. There were actually 2,000 people that lived here in its heyday. There were four hotels and three brothels and a bunch of bars and a giant railroad turntable down there. Mm -hmm. And they would just bring the railroads up and the farmers would just load the railroads full. Shively and Pepperwood across the river were very famous for corn and, and tomatoes homes. originally they grew potatoes <clears throat> and here. homes too and homes also mm-hmm. uh they grew potatoes here first and that was the first thing shipped out of here i think but then it became very famous for tomatoes and corn and then uh all of these communities were damaged in 1955 when the eel river flooded you know that was supposed to be the hundred year flood or they thought that was the thousand-year flood, and then it turned out that that was the hundred-year flood, and the thousand-year flood came less than ten years later and uh, just wiped everything off the map. Where we're sitting was 31 feet underwater at the height of the river crest Wow! in 1964. The front field was 21 feet underwater. So... This is rich soil. This mm-hmm. is very rich soil. Lots of I've, deposits here. Yeah. Wow. We, we're on the north end of the valley, so we got all of the soft stuff here. Yeah. Right. There's, that's, yeah, there's yeah. all that duff. Giant hugo culture under there. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. A natural. Yeah, culture. so yeah, all that kind of goes into the taste of everything that, that's grown here you know so if i were talking to someone about your cannabis what is the terroir like what are we calling this region we've called it the redwood floodplain terroir okay you know that's our Mm -hmm. what we've i mean i mean we got to get together there's a bunch we're definitely you know it's all it's the redwoods Mm -hmm. it's the avenue and the eel river though the eel river is definitely very important like that water that type of water that sandy silty loam those rocks those you Mm -hmm. know the redwoods it all makes up for what we have here for sure 
this season, this cannabis crop that's coming up, what what flower are you most excited about that you're seeing coming up in your garden? Well, we all have our favorites. But <laughs> what do you got, Jane? What's your one? Well, I mean, the sherbet, the sunset sherbet's incredible this year. The sherbet OG cross, and then the OG looks just stunning. So those are those are looking really great. The uh, and then I'm excited the, about the vanilla frosting and the bling because this will be the first year that we've tried them here on this farm. Yeah, and see how they do dry farming. Yeah, and that how is going to be exciting. And, and the terpene profile and all that. So the, those two strains. Is there another farm? That's growing that as well, so that y'all are going to have that comparison of how yeah, that there's, phenotype There's a did. bunch of people yeah. growing, but I think uh, the vanilla, vanilla frosting, frosting uh, we might There are the a whole bling. bunch of them. And that'll be fun. That'll growing. be fun yeah. to do some taste Comparisons. testing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I look forward to that, too. Yeah. Because that's when you really can have that terroir conversation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And seeing like, you know, what those terpene profiles end up looking like, what, you know, the cannabinoid breakdown is, you know, and you can kind of see, see if there is a pattern pattern. with this dry farming versus, you know, the traditional outdoor. I think it's all very exciting. Yeah, me too. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I will have to. I mean, it's not like I can just do a pop in on you guys, (laughs) but I definitely need to check back in and, uh. This vanilla frosting and the bling. I'm excited to try it. Um, What I notice when I'm smoking Jane's flowers is the complete lack of inputs and the total concentration of the taste of the flower. There, You know, we don't, there's no fertilizers, no, I have smoked this for so long that I can pretty much taste every piece of bat poop and chicken wood. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just saying. That is one refined powder right there. I'm just saying, you can really (laughs) tell when people lay it on and when they don't. And and the fact that there just isn't any of that, there's, you know, just cover crop and our pigs roaming around. uh, I think that's. Yeah, those pigs eat like kings, by the way. Yeah, they do. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite strain that y'all grow? My favorite strain? Well, <sighs> oh god, uh, no, no, well, no, that's not, I, that's not I how love, this game I love works. The Gorilla Glue is one of my all-time favorites, right. but I'm also a Kush person, and I'll tell you a quick story. Okay, I I injured myself. I don't myself. believe you. I injured myself. Uh, I used to be a stagehand down in San Francisco, and I tore my rotator cuff and I was told that I was never going to be able to do labor again because of the destruction of my neck and back. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was given a bunch of pills that I was on for many, many years. And I uh, smoked sativas the whole time. And I came up here and I quit the pills cold turkey with some CBD oil that had been made out of stuff that we had grown. And uh, w- that coincided with the same year that we had grown a bunch of cushions and other indicas and stuff. And I started smoking them like the- it was right around harvest. I started smoking them and I switched almost exclusively, like right after kicking pills, I switched almost exclusively to indicas. And I think it still has to do with my thing with Carrie Filene and uh, 
Mersine and stuff, mm-hmm. but I really like Carifiline stuff. Yeah, the, the spicy, beta Carifiline, mm-hmm, that peppery, yeah, yeah, spicy. Yeah, really into and that. They, and my body likes that canava or that terpene as well. Right. So mm-hmm. you can you can pick up what I'm laying down. Yes, absolutely. So, and anyway, so I thought I'd throw pain, that kind yeah, of quick story helpful. out about chronic pain and yeah. what what my favorite strains are. Yeah, and people that do suffer from chronic pain, you know, they should whether or not they think they need or want in, an indica dominant. Right. It really is helpful. And anybody that is like pot freaks me out. You know, you're probably smoking the sativa, and yeah, or you, the THC is just content's too, too, yeah, high, too for you. high for you. Yeah, yep. I do love the sherbet. It needs to sit for about four or five months for me, because when it's only about a month out, it's still a little sweet for me. And once it's like sat for about four months, it's got the perfect cure, and it, there's it's. Yeah, I appreciate really that. Really wonderful. I do like wonderful. the sweetness of it. Yeah. That sunset sherbet, that clementine, those kind mm-hmm. that is just so bright and sweet. I like that. But I I do appreciate the idea of letting something age a little bit and let the flavor transform and then That's really kind of 4 months is mm-hmm. right around when pot starts getting good i think yeah. i don't know if that's when it's hey it's always, we're all canisters and we can uh, all say what we want right yeah, but that's yeah. probably Canister. true ryan what's your favorite here nice. on the farm i i like smoking the indicas for the reason that pot kind of freaks me out sometimes <laughs> it's um, also why i was and your farm favorite here um well og kush is where i'm at that's that's probably my favorite but working on them i love working on the sherbet like they're they're beautiful they're fun to green leaf they're impressive and fun to photograph so we'll do we have a an instagram dry farmed organic medicinals instagram yeah and i'll include a link in the show notes Uh, yeah yeah. and and a lot of the video and photos we took today we'll have a nice little photo album of our adventure i know you're gonna love that jane <laughs> I think you've done fabulous and I appreciate you. I know you felt uncomfortable and being on camera, but I think you did a great job. Thank you. And I appreciate y'all having me out. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks thank you guys for coming. You have a wonderful space. It feels amazing. You all just ooze joy and happiness so i know dry farming can't be a bad thing (laughs) it's pretty great yeah well thanks for hanging out it was a great pleasure to explore the farm with jane sean and ryan this is nothing like the row cropping you see driving down the highway it's more like the largest home garden you've ever seen where every plant is grown with love and paid attention to or sacrificed strategically for the health of the cannabis. But you know what? You can see for yourself by scoping out the videos in the Podcast 109 show notes. Dry Farmed Organic Medicinals showed me how naturally the cannabis plants fit into the family of fruits and vegetables growing around them. And not only did I elevate my dry farming know-how, But I ate fresh-picked corn right in the garden. I know that seems simple, but I'd never done that before. It tasted amazing, and it made me feel like all kinds of tingly gratitude in my body. So in case you want to add that to your bucket list, you're welcome.
And last, but certainly not least, the animals out on the farm do their part to feed the earth and the people who then turn around and make sure they too are fed and taken care of. It's farm to table at the source and a true glimpse at the circle of life. When you get bogged down in technology and your to-do lists, remember that life can be as simple or complex as we decide to make it. And that's a lesson I needed reminding. If you know someone else who could use that message, I hope you'll share this podcast with them. And if you want to giggle, when I met the pigs, the boss hog did not like me eyeballing his piglets, chowing on their mama like it was their last meal. I was mortified. And Claire caught video of him pushing me along to get the fuck out of there. So it made me giggle. It'll probably make you laugh, too. Now, if you live in California and you want to support these beautiful souls, look for fruits, vegetables, and pasture-raised pork from New Moon Organics near you. If you don't see them, well, it never hurts to ask for what you want. Go find the produce manager. Um, excuse me, you don't have like the best corn in all of California? Oh my God, I may have to shop at Berkeley Bowl. <sighs> I'll include a list of grocers and wholesalers that carry New Moon Organics in the show notes at casuallybaked.com. And these people do not have time to upkeep websites, but they do have time for a little bit of Instagram. So connect on social at New Moon Organics and at Dry Farmed Organic Medicinals. And of course, I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you enjoyed these Voices of Harvest, check out the podcast bonus series celebrating the craft of cannabis farming and the art of storytelling. And send me your can-of-curious questions or concerns at casuallybaked.com for inclusion on a future episode of the podcast. Now remember, I trade coasters for questions and rave reviews. You can't just ask me for coasters. You have to contribute something to the tribe. I mean, I'm the one that's having to pack these up and write you a sweet little note and get it in the mail. That takes time. So if I'm going to give you my time, give me a little bit of love, okay? If you've messaged me, you know who you are. So hit me up again with your question or your rave review or your mad love for Casually Bakes or Love Mary Jane. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. La Osa is in the house capturing and editing the video version of the podcast available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're finding your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. 
I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.